Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Uh, Last week, uh, we opened up this series called Daring Faith. And so uh, today, we're going to tackle week two of uh, Daring Faith. Could be interesting. We threw a couple dares out. Like last week, I invited the guys to join me for uh, Maggie Green's Zumba class, which is a Zumba plus a Bible study. And about 20 guys showed up for that deal. And let me just say, we held our own. We really did. We did all right. Nobody died. And um, it was close, though. It was close. We we had a few stumble out. We got a video we'll share with you later this week of that. And uh, if you haven't already seen a few videos hanging around out there on uh, Facebook, I encourage you to check those out. It's frightening. And... uh, you know, you know the problem with classes like that? About the time I figure out which way she's going, she's gone somewhere else. And, and I, me and Tim were there, and seriously, I, I saw that video of you, Tim, and she, when she was doing that little uh, cha-cha thing going on, you had a little something going on, bud. You really did. It, embarrassingly, but you had something going on, clearly. Now, let me tell you something. Scott Dorsey, that boy can dance. I mean, seriously, that, that cat can dance, which is also concerning. But um, it, we had a good time. Even the mayor showed up for, 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 for Zumble the other night, and uh, we just had a great time. So thanks, ladies, for letting us crash your party. I promise we're not coming back. All right, that'll be a good thing. If you're our guest here this morning, thanks so much for hanging out with us. There's this little uh, guest info card in the seat back in front of you. Uh, and there's probably a pen in there, too, and we'd love for you to just let us know you're here today. And at the end of our service, there's the room to your right out, the exit sign, and it's just a place to meet and greet. I'd love to put a face with a name and meet you and uh, let you know everything there is to know about Sugar Hill Church. For those of you that have prayer requests, the flip side is a prayer request card. And dozens and dozens and dozens of you fill this out every week. And it's such an honor to pray for these, these concerns every day throughout the week. So I encourage you, drop it in the offering basket when it comes by later. And then hopefully you receive a copy of this handout inside the place for notes for today and all kind of information about what's going on in the life of our church. But today, we want to tackle what might might happen if we were to dare to give God our best. What if we were were to take the dare, the double dog dare you, and say, okay, I'm going to give God my best. I'm going to give him the best time of my day. I'm going to give him the first of everything. This is a big deal. I'm going to do this. And I I was reading a lot over this this week, and I found this this one question that seems so invasive in our life, especially in our Americanized culture. And let me read it to you. How would your life change if you used more of your time, more of your money, more of your energy on what's going to last forever? Now, just just stop. What would happen if we were to measure and we were to stop and think, I'm going to use my time, my money, my energy on what's going to last forever. God tells us over and over and over again in Scripture that history is moving toward a climax, and when it does, Jesus is coming back to rescue his church, and we're going to go to heaven with him where sorrow is over, where pain exists no more, and that's a mouthful. If that first question didn't get you, let me ask you the second one. Should that fact that that history is coming to a climax and the end of the world, will it someday occur, whether it's in our lifetime or not, it's coming for us. Should that fact have any impact on the way we live? Or are we just like, you know, eat, drink, and be merry? Should it have any difference? Should it have any effect on our life? Just simple, simple, simple numbers say it matters to most of us because most of us are trying 
to do something to better ourselves. A better job, a bigger house, a, a nicer car, a, a better school for my child. I want to try to eat healthy. I want to work out. All you have to do is look at what happens in the first month of every year. And there's something within us that says, I need to continue to improve. I need to continue to get better. And then you read something like this, what would happen if we use our time, our money, and our energy toward things that last forever, and would that have any impact on how we live today? But the last question to start off with is this, what difference should that make in how we invest our time and our money and our energy? Because when we really take a look at what God is wanting from us, what God longs from us, it's not that he needs our money, it's not that he needs our energy, it's not that God needs us at all, but he chose us to love us so that we might have the privilege and the honor of being a part of his redemptive plan of mankind so he could return that love and show that in a way that we live in this world in how we invest our time, our energy, and our money. Because we always are spending it on something. So this morning, if you've got the app or you're watching online, grab your Bibles or turn your Bible on on your phone or your tablet or looking in the app, and you'll see all the sermon notes, including all of the scripture references. Let's start this morning in 2 Peter chapter 3. So over in the New Testament, in 2 Peter, toward the, the backside of the Bible, it says this, since everything on earth will be gone one day, what kind of people should you be? Your lives should be holy and dedicated to God as you wait for the day of God and do your best to make it come soon. Now, let's make sure we get the do your best in context. God knows that our best will never be good enough. Our best is never good enough to earn us heaven. Our best is never good enough to earn us forgiveness. Our best is pretty weak when you think about it. I mean, if you, if you think of these questions, what impact does this have? Scripture is abundantly clear. Our hearts, are, we, we have all measure of evil we're capable of, more than we even know, because Scripture is clear that on that as well. We don't even know our own heart. But when you look at this, you say, well, then do your best to make it come soon. How do we do our best? Because over and over again, we read in Scripture this thought, choose the best, look the best, think the best, do what's best, give your best, over and over and over again. But how, is, how do I do this? How do I give my best? Ecclesiastes 9.10 says this, whatever work you do, do your best. Then it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, don't just do the minimum to get by, do your best. And then in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, do your best to improve your faith. You can do this by adding goodness, understanding, self-control, patience, devotion to God, concern for others, and love. If you keep growing in this way, it will show that Christ has made your lives useful and meaningful. So in other words, Jesus came not only to forgive our sin, not only to give us the opportunity to live for him and with him in heaven, he has given us the opportunity to live in love here on this earth. He has given us an opportunity to live in such a way that our lives count. They matter. Each day is a gift from the Lord. So when you look at this, I'm just naturally drawn to 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best, present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The greatest hero in my life was my granddad. I loved my granddad. His, his name was Charlie Allen, and he was a real, he just a wonderful guy. He's greatest granddaddy you, a little boy could ever hope for. 
I mean, this is the granddaddy taught me how to tie a fishing knot, taught, taught me how to catch two brim at one time with, you know, cane poles. And I mean, my granddad was just like a man's man. I loved my granddad. I loved him so much. The gift that I still cherish more than any gift I've ever received is one of those little bitty Bibles that had the thumbprints that had the books of the Bible in it. And written inside of the flap of that Bible was this note, Chucky, if you'll just live Timothy 2.15, God will honor every step you make. Love, Pop. You know, could I just say to you, I see that Bible every morning because where it's laid, I cannot help but see it. And I'm reminded that I need to present myself to God as one approved, a worker that has no need to be ashamed. But that can't happen apart from Jesus. It's not like you and I can go out and work harder. It's not like you and I can go out there and we can just suck it up and make it work. I mean, you know, we all try different things. And I think most people at some point say, I'm doing all that I can. Haven't you ever had that as a defense for something? I'm doing all that I can. You are killing me. I'm doing all that I can. I went back to the doctor this past Monday, and I'm sitting there, and he's, he's telling me what to do, telling me all the things I'm, I'm supposed to do. And you know what I'm thinking the whole time? Doc, dude, that is easy for you to do. You have like a body fat of minus 4%. You're killing me. Because, you see, I can't do it on my own. And it's not just diets. It's not just working out. It's not just new habits. Scripture's saying you can't live a God-centric life apart from allowing Jesus to control your life. If we're going to give our best, we have to allow Jesus, and we have to accept what he did, which was the best. He died for us, rose from us, to give us life. Great, Chuck. How do I give my best? Well, I believe in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we see three examples. And I believe there's three metaphors for how we give our best. The first is an effective soldier. The second is a competitive athlete. And the third is a productive farmer. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, it says this, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets tired up or gets tied up in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he doesn't receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. And the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. So when you think about these illustrations, then we get to understand how the Lord will help you to understand how they apply to you. So that tomorrow morning, when the traffic's backed up and some dude behind you is beeping because you're checking your text at a red light and there's now seven car lengths difference between you and the one in front and he's just blessing your heart on the horn, where is this going to make a difference in my life? Well, first, let's, let's look at the soldier, all right? Take a look at the soldier because a soldier has to define what he would die for. When Jenny and I went and saw the movie uh, 13 Hours about the tragedy in Benghazi, uh, and which by, I fear is, is a picture of, of, of great challenge in the future of our country. But when I, when I saw that movie, there's this one captivating scene where this guy's sitting in between the waves of attack. He's sitting there on top of the roof, and you can tell he is, I mean, he is this gross and filthy from battle. And he looks and he tells his buddy, he says, my wife is expecting I'm going to have a third baby. And he's already got two daughters back home. And he's in Benghazi on top of a roof fighting people. He has no idea why he's fighting. And he says, I would hate for my, my girls to look at me and say, my daddy gave up his life in a country he didn't care for in a war that he didn't understand. But see, here's the beauty of being the good soldier when we choose to let Christ 
take over our life. We know where we're going. We know what he died for. We know when we die that what he did was good enough for us. We know what we could die for. We know what we would live for. We know why. So the action, I guess, we're missing is why don't we? What are we missing in the middle of that? You see, an effective soldier saves lives. An effective soldier saves lives and adjusts as needed. I mean, how many times have you heard the best plan for, for battle is always changed immediately because the enemy changes? A competitive athlete wins the prize and is consistent in their effort to prepare for the race. A productive farmer harvests a bigger crop and does what God tells him to do to trust that that seed in the ground is going to become something amazing. I read a story about Admiral Rickover a few weeks ago, and there, he was interviewing a young cadet that, to be a part of the, the nuclear submarine operations of our Navy. And he was kind of the grandfather of nuclear submarines and, and the work of that. And so this young cadet who was writing memoirs said, I remember when I sat down with Admiral Rickover, and I spoke for two hours to him. I, he let me talk for two hours. And then finally, when I thought I had shared everything I knew, in the next five minutes, he conveyed to me that everything I'd spoken about for two hours meant nothing. And at the end, Admiral Rickover looked at him and said, son, have you tried your best at everything you've done? And the young man looked at him and said, no, I, I don't believe that's true. And the Admiral looked at him and said, so here's the question I've got for you. Why not? And the person that was interviewed was the 39th president of the United States, Jimmy Carter, who said that one question changed everything in my life. You don't have to like him, love him, or leave him as a president, but here was a, here was a brilliant young man that said, somebody actually looking at me saying, have I done all that I could? Did it matter? Have I done what I could? John chapter 15, verse 13 says, the greatest love is shown when a person lays down his life for his friends. Soldiers understand that. I believe the world is dying to know what we'd be willing to die for. I really do. I believe the world is dying to know what we would be willing to die for. Aren't you grateful that God saw you as something worth allowing his son to die for? Aren't you glad to know that in your present state, in your previous state, and in your future state, that God saw you worthy enough to allow his son to die for you? He saw it was worth dying for you. To be the best that we could be is simply a reaction because he gave us all that he had. First, I've got to define what I'd die for. Secondly, I've got to sacrifice my own comfort. I've got to have a willingness to give. And if I don't have a willingness to give out of a spirit that is sacrificial, then maybe I'm not giving what I should give. We live in a broken, messed up world. And this world requires us to step out in faith and strength and in courage and in truth. Think of all the comforts that soldiers give up so that we might have freedom. And then think of the hardships that they choose to put up with. Fatigue and stress, and sleeplessness, and foreign lands, and loneliness, and the list goes on and on and on. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. It's a battle to do what's right. It's a battle to do what we ought to do. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 says, live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. What does he want? He wants us to be more like Jesus. Then who are we offering our life for? What are we sacrificing ourselves for? In the midst of this Americanized health and wealth and audacious influence that we experience in our life, I noticed on Time Hop this morning uh, that comes up, it's a little app that shows up and it'll show you pictures from this same date several years ago, like 
one year ago, two years ago, three years ago with me. And I noticed about three years ago that I was in Haiti today. And I started just scrolling through those pictures and seeing the incredible poverty that is found, the incredible pain and filth. And then I, then I, I just stopped and prayed for Haiti as they're going through another leadership change where the president stepped down and there's widespread chaos in Haiti. And I thought to myself, wow, I'm worried about when I don't have the right download speed. I'm, I'm suffering when I left my phone at home. I'm, I'm suffering when the DVR didn't capture the right thing. I'm, I'm suffering when I, I, I left through the drive-thru and, and I, I didn't get the sandwich I ordered right because they put onions on it. When I look at all this, I think to myself, my stars, Jim Elliott was right. Jim Elliott, the, 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 the missionary who gave his life to bring Jesus to the jungles of Ecuador, he, here's what he said, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. I mean, seriously, I look at this. In 2 Samuel, King David said this, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Many of us are simply not offering to the Lord anything that costs us anything. I mean, we're just making it convenient. This week, I got an extra five bucks. God, I know you're proud of me now. You see, I, I believe the third step to being able to do this well, to be able to do my best, I have to eliminate the distractions in my life. For many of us, our phone is an appendage to our life and our Bible is forgotten. For many of us, social media has become the conscience of our soul instead of, instead of the spirit of God. We've got to eliminate the distractions. What does the Bible say that? Let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. As Christ's soldier, do not let yourself become entangled in the affairs of this life, wasting time, for then you can't please your commanding officer who enlisted you in this army. Who, who, who enlisted us? The Lord Jesus. Come be this, this way. Walk with me. Talk with me. Live with me. Abide in me. If I asked you, what can you not do without, what would your list be? I mean, seriously, what could you not do without? Well, Chuck, I couldn't do without my Starbucks. Well, Chuck, I, I, couldn't, do, I couldn't do without Facebook. Chuck, I couldn't do without my iPhone. Chuck, I couldn't do without. And our list is pretty interesting, isn't it? Our list would be overwhelming. And I guess I look at this and I think, wait a minute. How would life change for the better if I gave my time, my money, my energy, the priority to what really matters most? And then Paul gives us the second metaphor of Christian life, the athlete. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, he says this, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself be, might be disqualified. To be the best I can be, I've got to do three things that an athlete does. I've got to intend to win. I've got to race with the intention to win. Now, many of you are like me. You're casual golfers. So that means that I might play once every couple of years. So I show up at a, at a tournament somewhere, and it's the first time I've picked up the sticks in forever, and I act like I'm stretching and I'm bending. I have no idea what I'm doing. I am potentially America's worst golfer. And you get in this foursome, and every foursome in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, something like that has a ringer. Like the last time I did, Tony English was our ringer. A boy can hit a golf ball a mile, you know? And I can hit a golf ball a mile, it just I, I have no idea where it's going. His was straight. He knew what was happening. 
I think many of us are living life like casual Christians, just like casual golfers. And we forget the fact that to be good, to be able to move forward, to improve, to better, I have to live this life. I got to go hit a bucket of balls when it's 28 degrees and work hard. It doesn't just come naturally. It's something that I've got to work. I've got to take it seriously. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. In a race, everyone runs, but only one person wins the prize. Well, you say, well, Chuck, what's the prize? 1 Timothy 6, 12. Run your best in the race of faith and win eternal life for yourself. For this is the life that God called you to when you professed your faith before many witnesses. To the best I can be for God is to allow him to direct my ways, to direct my life. But we've also got to discipline ourselves. I mean, we've got to have a disciplined mind. We've got to have a disciplined heart. When we live in moods and emotions, we wander without purpose and we drift through life. We slide into the corners. Remember what 2 Timothy said. If anyone competes as an athlete, he cannot receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to what? The rules. Where's the rule book? In Scripture. But Chuck, I don't spend any time there, so I didn't, how do I know the rules? You don't. Well, then how can I compete to win? You don't. You stay a casual lifer. Well, I, you know, what I do, Chuck, is I show up for church every now and then. I mean, let's face it, I'm better than the creasers who come just Christmas and Easter, but, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty casual in this, this whole God thing because I, I'm not sure what I'm doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. To win the contest, you must deny yourself many things that would keep you from doing your best. An athlete goes into strict training just to win a ribbon or medal that won't last. But we do it for an eternal reward. We all know the stories of Olympic athletes and all that they sacrifice to be able to get there. You're probably like me. I'm looking forward to the 2016 Olympics. I love to watch all that. And those those folks have, have for years and years and years sacrificed to be able to win. I, I read this the other night, and I thought this was great. It says, the pain of regret is always greater than the pain of discipline. The pain of regret is always greater. Man, I I look at that and I think, greater than the pain of discipline. You you know know what the layman's term for that is? I, I say this to students when I have the privilege to be with them, is this one overwhelming thought. Don't look back someday and say, I wish I would have. Don't blink and look back someday and say, wow, I wish I would have. I wish I would have, I wish I would have lived for Christ earlier. I wish I would have sacrificed earlier. I wish I would have given him my life earlier. And then third, if we're going to be this athlete, we've got, we got to stay focused on that reward. We've got to stay focused on what matters most instead of every time we turn around chasing something else and going, squirrel. We've got to remain focused on the reward. Jesus came and endured the cross. That's what we know. He was focused. He was, he was set. And he says to us, come take up your cross and follow me. Stay focused on the path. Stay focused where you're supposed to go. I was headed down toward uh, Orlando several months ago, and I was listening to, uh, well, in truth, I was listening to the old album, Leonard Skinner's Second Helping. And I had it cranked up really loud. And the, the, the ballad of Curtis Lowe came on, and I can sing every word from the battle of Curtis, I mean, don't go listen to it. I'm just saying. So I, I, I should have said I was listening to some deep spiritual podcast, and I was praying as I drove, but I wasn't. I had the windows down. I had Leonard Skinner wide open, and, and I had maybe the biggest iced tea you've ever seen in your life in, in, the, in the little cup holder. I was set. And then I had a little bag of peanuts kind of resting. This was a heavenly drive. 
all by myself. And I had it cranked up. And, and I had it cranked up enough to know that I missed my turn to I-10 to head west toward, 90, toward uh, 295 and then to 95 south. Before I knew it, I was all the way to I-4 and had to get on I-4 to turn left and head east. And you know how I missed that? I was distracted. I mean, the ballad of Curtis Lowe kept me distracted. Is that what distracted me? No. I didn't have my eyes on the prize. The prize was I wanted to be there by a certain time, crash for a good night, but I didn't. I extended, extended my journey. I created more pain. I didn't get where I wanted to when I should have been there. Why? I was distracted. You ever sat behind somebody at a red light and you know that they're texting and then they go before them? What do you do? I mean, you are wearing them out, aren't you? And then when you pull around them, you give them that look. You know, I mean, like you take your sunglasses off to make sure they see your eyes, like the crazy eyes look, you know? <laughs> You've done it, haven't you? I mean, you've got to take the sunglasses off because when you do, I mean, they're looking over you like, you know, and you're looking at them like, and then you just hope he didn't pull up a gun, right? We get distracted. And so what happens is we stop staying focused on the reward. Hebrews 12, 2. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That joyful finish with God in heaven, he could put up with anything along the way, the cross, shame, whatever, and now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God, and he's saying, come on, kids, I've got a place for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26, I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I fight to win. I'm not just shadow boxing or playing around. Stay focused on the finish line. Ignore the crowds that can tell you how it can't be done. And don't waste our energy playing around. We need to get after this. So Jen and I have been watching over the last week or so, we're really party animals. We've been watching a History Channel documentary. We're really, we're, we're out there on the bleeding edge here, I'm telling you. And it's a story of how they, they have these people that don't believe Hitler died in his bunker and he made his way to the Canary Islands, and then he made his way to Argentina, and then to Brazil, and then, anyway, you just follow this, and there's this one dude who's like the, like he's the super sleuth in the, in the deal, right, and every time they find another clue, he looks into the camera, and the music kind of goes, uh, 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 kind of deal, you know, and every show, he does like eight times, it's so funny to watch now, because he looks, and says, we've got to get somebody there right now, okay, I, I get that, but this war was 75 years ago, I don't think another three or four hours is going to matter, dude, but every time, I mean, the, the music happens. You know what I'm talking about. You know, it's like the mood music. Boom, 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 boom. We got to get somebody right now. No, you don't. We got to stay focused on the prize. Let's do it right. Let's focus on what matters. And then the final metaphor, a farmer. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning verse 6, says this. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each make your own mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. Then God will generously provide all you need, and all you will always have everything you need, and plant left over, and plenty left over to share with others. For God is the one who gives seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. And Scripture goes on and says, In the same way, he'll give you many opportunities to do good, and he will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you'll be in, enriched so that you can give even more generously. You'll be glorifying God through your generous gifts, and your generosity will prove that you're obedient to the good news of Christ. The final lesson of the farmer says, to reap a great harvest, I've got to plant generously in faith. That's why we don't mind asking you, listen, in this season of daring faith, 
I'm daring you. I'm asking you, double dog daring you. Give to the Lord at least $20 a week, more than what you are now. So if you're giving zippity doodah today, give 20 bucks. If you're giving 1,000 a week, give 1,020. If you're giving 10,000, we need to have lunch. And so at the, just kidding, sort of. But it's an outward evidence that we in our society say, God, I love you, I trust you. At the end of these six weeks, if you say God hasn't done his part, there's no blessing in my life for being obedient and giving to him, set up in a meeting with him, I'll meet you at Starbucks or here at the office, whatever, and, and we'll give you back whatever you gave times two. I, I believe, I trust God in his favor. Press down, running over. He wants to bless us with his goodness and his love. That's why we want to ask you to invite two people over the next six weeks to be a part of our, of our service here. Just invite two people over six weeks to come to one hour worship with you. And then when, when the hundreds and hundreds of you see that little five minute or listen to that five minute weekday podcast that's on the app or online, just share it. Share it on social media. Share it with your friends. Give, invite, share. Give, invite, share. This is when we do what we can do. But let, let me land this plane. Luke chapter six, verse 38 says, give and it will be given back to you. You'll be given much. It will be poured into your hands, more than you could hold. You'll be given so much that it will spill into your lap. The way you give to others is the way God gives to you. And then in Mark chapter 10, verse 29, Jesus said, I guarantee you this. Now listen, when Jesus says, take this to the bank, when Jesus says, I guarantee you this, anyone who gives up anything for my sake and the good news, whether a home or a family member or property, will get more than that back, multiplied a hundredfold, and in the world to come, they'll be given life forever. The soldier saves lives. The athlete wins the prize. And the farmer harvests more than he needs. Today, I ask you to consider what are the things that you couldn't do without. And the one common answer among all of us, if we got really brutally honest, is the one thing we can't do without is the presence of hope and peace and joy in our life. And there is no place to find those three apart from the presence of Jesus living on the throne of our heart and being in control of our lives. And I invite you today to say, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I want to give. I, I, I want to invite. I want to serve. I, I, I want to leave a path of good fruit in my, in, in my wake. But, Lord, I can't do it on my own. And Jesus says, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. And today, maybe it's time for you to say, Jesus, please come forgive me of all my selfishness and all my sin. Come live in my life and take over. Thank you for dying for me, for raising from the dead for me, giving me life eternal and life in abundance. Jesus, I accept that you died for me and rose from the dead as payment for my sin. I take my life and I make a U-turn with it. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for you. And if that's your prayer today, then I invite you, Jesus, come be my Savior. Come be my Lord. But whatever we do, folks, let, let's don't give him our worst. Let's give him our best. Let, let, let's, let, let's, don't, let's don't rob the kingdom of the blessing that he's called you to be. Let's put our head on a pillow at night and know the Lord used me this day. Father, we love you. We praise you and we thank you that on this day, you came to give us life and to give it to us in abundance. So, Father, we love you and praise you and thank you. In the name of Jesus.
Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.